Jesus said, I am the light of the world. The one who follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. We light these candles as a sign of the coming light of Christ. Good morning, and welcome to the Sunday service of Free Community Church. Thank you for joining us today, both on site and online. So let's take a moment to greet one another. So if you're on site, even turn around or um, greet one another. Um, give them a wave and a smile. And for those uh, joining us remotely, please type a greeting in the chat, and our moderators will respond to your messages. So as we enter into the sacred time, please rise in body or in spirit and join me in the call to worship. Today is the day that the Lord has made. Let us rejoice and be glad in it. Let us be glad this day for life, for breath, and for freedom to worship. Blessed are you who come in the name of the Lord. We come to bring our gifts of praise and gratitude to the God of all creation. God is good, and in God's work, we find our strength. We sing of all God's wonderful works. works. Let, Let us give thanks, thanks and praise, praise to, to the Lord. Lord. So uh, please remain standing as we join our voices together in a time of praise and worship. of mercy that brought with grace wholeheartedly my soul undeserving we sing God you're so
To let it all go I see it now I'm laying it down I know that I need you I run to the Father Fall into grace 
I just want to speak the name of Jesus over every heart and every mind. Cause I know there is peace within your presence. I speak Jesus. I just want to speak the name of Jesus Till every dark addiction starts to break Declaring there is hope and there is freedom I speak Jesus Your name is power Your name is healing your name is life. Break every stronghold, shine through the shadows, burn like a fire. I just want to speak the name of Jesus. Your name is power, your name is healing, your name is life. Break every stronghold, shine through the shadows, burn like fire. Your name. Your name is power, your name
Good morning, church. My name is Mark, uh, and I'll be leading prayer for today. So can I invite everyone to just close your eyes and prepare yourselves for prayer? As you close your eyes, just take a few deep breaths and get a sense of the space around you and rest in it. Gracious God, thank you for your many blessings to our church community here in FCC. With a successful conclusion of our AGM last week, Lord, we were reminded of your faithfulness to our community. Thank you for blessing us with many resources for the finances to keep us going and also the hands and feet offered in discipleship and in service to your will. We give thanks for the leaders in community, particularly our pastors, the board, the council, and our lay leaders across all cell groups and ministries. Thank you for acts of service and for helping us inspire each other to give of ourselves to each other. And in so doing, give ourselves to you. Lord, thank you for the special place that FCC has in history, in Christianity, in Asia, and in particular in Singapore. We give thanks for the repeal of Section 377A and what it means for the LGBTQ community and the closure it gives to the many gay men who have been harmed by anti-gay ideology in Singapore, and the various kinds of social and legal discriminations the rest of the community experiences due to homophobia, and all the different kinds of homophobia. Lord, we pray and give thanks for we often hear that change is possible, preached over the pulpit. But now our eyes have seen that it is. Lord, we pray and ask for strength and wisdom as we continue to stand with each other, hand in hand, 
together with all our allies and our friends in our community, as we challenge each other and encourage each other to continue making Singapore a place where your children, regardless of who they call themselves to be, what gender or sex they identify with, that Singapore can always be a place that all can call home. Lord FCC is a church, but it is also a family where many of us have committed ourselves to be a part of. One not of birth, but of choice, and how precious it is. So we ask that you help us to hold each other gently, lovingly, and authentically. Inspire us to lead lives of discipleship accountable to ourselves, to each other, and to your great commission to spread the good news. We want to especially lift up in earnest prayer those who are ill, facing health challenges, whether physical or mental, whether chronic or life-threatening. We pray for your healing hand and comfort. We also pray and ask the same for those who are caregivers in the community, that we also learn to care for those who care so that no one is left behind. Lord, help us to love. Help us to learn how to love. And in learning and practicing how to love and leave no one behind, may we also be ready for the second coming of Christ. All this we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. So, uh, good morning, everyone. Uh, my name is David, and I'm very happy to be sharing God's Word with you today. So, as usual in our uh, sermons here, we invite you to join in, in the sermon by uh, scanning the QR code uh, and joining us on menti.com. So, there'll be some questions, and you can respond and interact with me as we do this sermon together. Um, there's, you can go to fcc.ly slash menti, or you can go to menti.com and put in the code, or just scan this QR code. So, uh, we are in the season of Advent, which in the church calendar is the four weeks before Christmas. It's a time when we make ourselves ready for the coming or the birth of Jesus. And in fact, the word Advent itself means arrival or coming. And that's why we light these candles here as well. In some traditions, it's a season of prayer, fasting, and repentance, followed by anticipation, hope, and joy. Last week, Wendy started the sermon series with how not to prepare. And today we will continue with how not to repent. Uh, and we use the word not, right? How not to Christmas or how not to Advent. Because we're thinking there's kind of things we've been taught that we might need to unlearn and then relearn the right ways or different ways of doing things. So that's why we came up with this sermon series of how not to Christmas. Okay, so today's lectionary passage is from the Gospel of Matthew. It's about the coming of John the Baptist. It's the one who prepared the way of the Lord. So before we start, if you, all of you have got on Menti by now, we're going to do a short quiz on John the Baptist. 
So I hope you have all your phones ready. So please go into Menti and click on which of these statements is true. And, and don't look at the answers there because other people are already answering. But OK, these are the four statements. John the Baptist was named by an angel, not by his parents. OK, number two, John the Baptist and Jesus were cousins. Number three, John the Baptist wrote the book of John 1, 2, and 3 in the New Testament. And number four, John the Baptist never cut his hair. So let's see what people are... We'll give you a bit of time to put in your answers. And we see people are pretty sure about number two. There's a lot of people who think John the Baptist and Jesus were cousins. The others, not so sure. All right, so we've had about 28, 29 answers. We'll give a few more seconds, last chance to answer. Okay, then we'll go to the results. Oh, no results yet. <laughs> okay, well, I'll tell you the answers anyway. So the first one is, uh, what was the first question again? Oh, yeah, he was named by an angel. Yes, it's true. John the Baptist also had a miraculous birth story. His parents were, in their, were very old. They didn't think they could have kids. And then an angel appeared to his parents and announced that they would have a child and they were to name him John. So his name was John, named by an angel. Uh, number two, John and Jesus were cousins. Yes, it's true. Okay, I mean, this isn't specifically stated. It said that John's mother, Elizabeth, and Jesus' mother, Mary, were relatives, all translated as cousins. And in fact, the two women, although they were very different in age, they were actually pregnant at the same time. Um, so maybe John and Jesus grew up together, who knows, you know, <laughs> probably around the same age as well. Um, number three, John the Baptist wrote the book of John 1, 2, and 3. Trick question, not true. <laughs> okay, that was written by another John, John the Apostle. Okay, so John the Baptist did not write any of the books of the Bible. <laughs> All right, and the last one, John the Baptist never cut his hair. True, because John the Baptist was what's called a Nazarite. And the Nazarites were a special group of people, Jewish people, who had dedicated themselves or consecrated themselves to God by taking a vow. And this could be a lifelong vow or it could be just for a short period of time. But during this period of time, they were not allowed to drink alcohol. They were not allowed to, they couldn't even eat grapes, okay? not even grape seeds or grape peel. Um, they couldn't touch any dead bodies and they could not cut their hair. And the most famous of the Nazarites, of course, was Samson, right? He, couldn't cut his hair, and then when his hair got cut off, he lost all his strength. Another uh, Nazarite is Samuel, right? So there are three Nazarites that we know of in the Bible. Okay, so thank you for taking part in that quiz. I hope it just got you, more, you know, into the sermon, and we're going to be talking a lot about John the Baptist today. And so let us now go to our scripture passage from the Gospel of Matthew, chapter 3, verses 1 to 12. Okay, so... I'll read it for you. I guess it's not up on the screen because we have technical difficulties. So you can just listen and hear the word of the Lord. In those days, John the Baptist appeared in the wilderness of Judea, proclaiming, Repent, for the kingdom of heaven has come near. This is the one of whom the prophet Isaiah spoke when he said, The voice of one crying out in the wilderness, Prepare the way of the Lord, make his path straight. 
Now John wore clothing of camel's hair with a leather belt around his waist, and his food and wild honey. Then the people of Jerusalem and all Judea were going out to him, and all the region along the Jordan were baptized by him in the river Jordan, confessing their sins. But when he saw many Pharisees and Sadducees coming for baptism, he said to them, You brood of vipers, who warned you to flee from the wrath to come? Bear fruit worthy of repentance. Do not presume to say to yourselves, We have Abraham as our ancestor. For I tell you, God is able from these stones to raise up children to Abraham. Even now, the axe is lying at the root of the trees. Every tree, therefore, that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. I baptize you with water for repentance, but one who is more powerful than I is coming after me. I am not worthy to carry his sandals. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and with fire. His winnowing fork is in his hand, and he will clear his threshing floor and will gather his wheat into the granary, but the chaff he will burn with unquenchable fire. Please join me in a short word of prayer. Lord, may your word today go forth and speak to each person here in a way that they need to hear. And may the words of my mouth and the meditations of all our hearts be acceptable in your sight. In Jesus' name, amen. And now the screen is back on, so yay. Okay, so John's message, summarize that whole passage for you. John's message was very simple. Repent, for the kingdom of heaven has come near. And in fact, his message was word for word the same as the message of Jesus in the Gospel of Matthew, chapter 4, 17. Actually, it was the same thing. Repent, for the kingdom of heaven has come near. See, so in this way, he was really preparing the way for the one he says was more powerful than I, who will baptize you with Holy Spirit and with fire. But what does the kingdom of heaven mean? What do you picture in your mind when you think of the kingdom of heaven? Is it fluffy clouds? Is it angels with harps? No, okay? It's, what they meant is that God's rule on earth has come. God as the king. Okay, this is archaic terminology, right? This is long ago when they had kings and stuff like that. But maybe it's like God's rule, God's reign has come, and we can participate in that reign by repenting. But so then the next question is, what does it mean to repent? All right, this will be the focus of today's message. And we'll talk about three things. Firstly, what does it mean to repent? Number two, how not to repent? And number three, how then should we repent? So, first of all, what does it mean to repent? So if you look in the dictionary, you'll find the following definition. To be very sorry for something bad you have done in the past and wish that you had not done it. Or to feel or express sincere regret or remorse about one's wrongdoing or sin. Okay, that's the English definition. Um, now, if the screen was on, you would see <laughs> that, um, you know, like Christians, right, they're known for being pretty judgmental, they carry these signs and say, repent, repent, you're all going to hell, you know? Uh, so this word has become very negative. Like when you hear repentance, you're like, ugh, not again, right? It's used as a weapon against people, especially against the LGBTQ community, all right? It's associated with Christians, especially the Christians who are very judgmental, and they're pointing fingers at anyone and everyone different to themselves. 
It's a word that may trigger some of you, may at least make us feel pretty uncomfortable. Although, when you go back to the New Testament, it wasn't that way. Okay, in the language of the New Testament, the word was used in a positive way. It was something for good. And the Greek word is metanoia. Okay, metanoia. And this literally means to change the mind. Okay, so when John was baptizing people in the River Jordan, in fact, this is something that we as a church, FCC, went in 2018 to Israel, and some of you actually got baptized in the River Jordan, right? So baptism is not just a Christian ritual. In fact, this, it went back much earlier, and the Jews were already baptizing people to initiate converts into Judaism. But it was also used as a traditional act of purification. Like, you know the Jews, like, they do these ritual baths and things like that. So in a sense, these Jews were coming from all over the country to be baptized by John. And they were taking part in this baptism to make a public declaration that they were going to go in a new direction. Okay, so that's what repentance is. It's a metanoia, it's a change of your mind, right? So now, let's spend a bit of time talking about how not to repent. And I would like to talk about three ways that I personally used to repent in the past. And when I look back on those, I think, okay, maybe that wasn't really helpful. And so I thought maybe I'll share that with you in case you relate to it. And maybe we, you might learn something from my journey or maybe not, but let's see what happens. Okay, so the first way I used to think I could show God I was sorry was by punishing myself. Okay, so this idea goes back centuries. If you go back to the Middle Ages, around the 13th century, the 14th century, there were groups of people called the flagellants. Okay, the flagellants. These were men and women who would punish, who practice physical forms of punishment in order to purge themselves and the world of sin. They would march from town to town for 33 and a half days, and they would beat themselves with whips, beat each other, all, at every town along the way, and they would even draw blood, you know. Uh, it was pretty brutal. So this, this movement gained popularity, especially during the Black Plague, okay? They were living through a pandemic, just like we are, but they didn't have vaccines. They were dying by the thousands. Um, and so they believed that Christ was angry at mankind and would destroy the world in 33 days. And they, by doing this, were kind of postponing the end of the world, just another 33 days, then we got to postpone it another 33 days. And so they were preventing the end of the world by their devotion to God. Okay, now we look back on that and say, oh no, gosh, please don't, please don't do that, okay? But some Christians still do practice self-flagellation, and to them it's a kind of a bodily penance, a type of self-discipline to control their bodies and emotions in order to focus more fully on worshiping God. So, okay, I guess if you can do it in a healthy way, sure, but we don't recommend it. It's one thing to discipline yourself. It's another thing to intentionally hurt yourself. All right, so I'm going to speak a bit about self-harm. So if this is a topic which is difficult for you, please feel free to tune out for the next few minutes. Um, now, unfortunately, there's no picture there, but I've shared about this before, but when I was a teenager, there was a period of about two years when I was probably 16 or 17, when I used to practice self-harm. I would punch brick walls as hard as I could just to hurt my hands. I would cut my hands and my arms with a cutter. And so, actually, I found a photo from that time. Uh, I think I was 16. And when I zoomed in on my wrist, you could actually see the lines there. Um, it's something I never really... In fact, I shared this photo in my last sermon, and I didn't see that. But this time I did, right? And you can actually see the scars. 
So when I think back to those times, I recall I always felt a deep sense of inadequacy, not being good enough for myself, for my parents, for those around me, and for God. And I felt that I somehow deserved to hurt. So it took quite a few years to heal the emotional wounds that led me to this. And actually, a turning point was when I watched the 2004 movie, The Passion of the Christ. Okay, now I'm not endorsing that movie. It is very controversial, it's excessively brutal, it's been known to be anti-Semitic. But what I'm saying is, at that time, where I was, it made a very big impact on me because I saw a very realistic portrayal of Jesus' suffering for me. And in one part, he carries his cross, and he looks up at his mother and he says, Behold, I am making all things new. And I felt for the first time that God's love for me was unconditional and without limit. And this was the beginning of my healing. So in a way, this was a change of mind. This was a metanoia. To realize that I don't need to hurt myself. I don't need to punish myself. Right? Because God loves me and doesn't require that. See, so self-harm is complicated. It's often a way for people to deal with difficult emotions like pain, sadness, anger, stress, or guilt and shame. So if you're listening to this and you do experience frequent thoughts of self-harm, please reach out for help. You can speak to one of our pastors after the service, and we can find resources for you. Okay, so maybe some of you, okay, you say, oh, I don't punish, I don't harm myself physically, but a lot of us punish ourselves mentally. Like, we replay our failures over and over in our mind. And what my point is, God does not ask us to punish ourselves, right? Such, you look through the whole Bible, you won't find anything like that, Okay. I mean, Paul does say, I beat my body and make it my slave. He's talking metaphorically. He's talking about discipline, not physically beating yourself. Okay, so it's not in the Bible. And it's, if it's something you feel that you need to do, then please ask yourself today, what is your picture of God? Is God an angry judge who delights in your pain, who needs to be appeased? No. Okay, God is a loving parent who is grieved when we hurt ourselves. In fact, longs to comfort us. I mean, can you imagine a parent who sees their child hurting themselves to show how much they love the parent? No parent would do that. Okay, so God's not like that. Okay, another way, number two, another way we try to repent is to try, on our own, to stop doing things we think are sinful or that other people have told us are sinful. We feel like we need to clean up our act to become acceptable to God and others. So there's a picture here uh, of a guy... I wanted to put a picture here of a guy trying to pull himself up by his bootstraps. You know the phrase? It's, you try all your best to pull yourself up to improve yourself, but it's not possible because you're stuck to the ground, right? So I need to emphasize here that there are times we do need to clean up our act, okay? But it's not something you do on your own, and it's not something you do to be acceptable to God and others, right? God already accepts you. So at this point, we need to take a small detour to talk about sin, because sin can be tricky. In a large way, we internalize sin depending on what we were taught or how we grew up. Um, and sin in the Bible means to miss the mark or to transgress divine law. But who's to say what is the law, right? Like the Pharisees, they made up so many rules to, to, to kind of interpret the law. And some of these are made up by people. So it's hard to distinguish what's God's genuine purpose versus the laws that were made by people. Like, you think back to the 1980s, okay? There were Christians who got in a panic about the game Dungeons & Dragons. They said, oh, it's so satanic. People are, you know, killing children or whatever. 
And looking back, we say, okay, there was no basis for this paranoia. And yet, this kind of thinking still lingers on today. Like some Christians believe it's sinful to drink alcohol, get a tattoo, watch movies, listen to pop music, or read Harry Potter books, right? Where other Christians have no problem with these. So, okay, I've listed a few superficial issues, but there are more serious issues. I mean, the church from the very beginning had divisions about sin, right? Some that had life and death consequences. In Paul's time, they were debating about whether Gentile believers should be circumcised, and they almost split the church because of that, right? And then now we have debates about baptism, evolution, abortion, divorce, ordination of female leaders, and the list goes on. Christians don't agree on what God's will is on these. And the point here is that Christians, although they may mean well, right, they can make mistakes. And they have different ideas about what constitutes sin and what needs to be repented from. So when it comes to sexual orientation, the church has traditionally taught that same-sex attractions are sinful, and I used to believe this myself because I grew up in an evangelical tradition. But since then, I think it was around 2016, I went through a journey of transformation as well. I started reading more on the issue. I started studying the scriptures. And most of all, I had a few close friendships with gay people. And this helped me change my mind on the issue entirely. It was a metanoia, a change of my mind. So that's why I'm here today, <laughs> and I'm so glad to be here. And at FCC, we affirm LGBTQ relationships. We believe that when lived out in accordance with the love commandments of Jesus, they are consistent with Christian faith and teachings. And our community has many people who have journeyed from a place of feelings of guilt and shame that were imposed on them by society, by their churches, or whatever it is, by their parents, towards reconciliation of their sexual orientation with their faith. And we specifically run a class called Living Water for those who want to delve deeper into the journey and study the theology for themselves. Okay, so this issue aside, all of us do struggle with real sins. Okay, those are maybe that's not sin, that's just what people told you is sin, but there are real sins in our lives. And these are ways of thinking and being that harm ourselves, harm others, and harm our world. And the struggle is especially difficult when it's a sin of addiction to something. Maybe it's sex, drugs, alcohol, or whatever it is that has become compulsive and has unhealthy control over you. So maybe you've been there. I, I definitely have. When I was in my 20s, I was struggling with certain issues. And there were certain weeks I felt I had failed. I had let God down. And those weeks, I would skip church. It's like, I better stay home. I just felt too ashamed, too sinful, too unworthy to go. Or even if I went, right, I'll sneak in the door. But I would not take communion. Right? When they pass it around, I'm not going up. Because I felt like I didn't deserve it. And every day, I tried to fight my addictions using willpower. This is called white knuckling. You clench your fists until your knuckles turn white. It's using strength or willpower just to endure. Okay, this will work for a while, but then eventually I'd give in, I'd binge, and then feel very guilty, and then the whole cycle starts all over again. And when I struggled the most was also when I felt the most distant from God. So what I needed to have was that change of mind, the metanoia, to learn that God's love for me was in no way diminished by my failure or lack of faith. Right? So if you've ever felt that way, know this. God's grace to us is unmerited favor. God doesn't wait for you to become worthy of love. God generously pours out love, and it's not at all dependent on what you have or have not done. God doesn't even wait for you to repent to love you. God loves first, 
And it's the love of God that transforms us and gives us the motivation and the power to change. So freedom from addiction is not found in trying to do better on your own. It's found in community, a safe place where you can be accepted for who you are and understood without needing to hide from God or from yourself, where you can address deep hurts and grow in loving and being loved, where you can fail and try again without shame. Because God already knows everything you have ever done and will ever do, and God loves you anyway. God will never give up on you. So don't let your perceived failings drive you away from God. Let them drive you towards the loving embrace of God. Okay, that was number two. So the third way we try to repent is by feeling excessive guilt or trying to make ourselves feel guilt. Okay, this especially happens in churches where there's a certain pressure to experience the emotion of sorrow, to demonstrate the depth of your faith to yourself and to God. Like, do you see people looking around? Are you crying? Oh, wow, must have a lot of faith, you know. Or maybe you cry yourself, saying, oh, wow, today I have a lot of faith. No, okay. So for many Christians, this faith is very prescriptive, right? There's a lot of focus on things you should be doing, should not be doing. Have you done your quiet time every day? You know, have you prayed today? All this kind of stuff, right? And you're made to feel bad for the things you're not doing or doing less than perfectly. And you end up living your life with an almost constant, low-level sense of guilt. Okay, that was me. I grew up believing in the Reformed theology of total depravity. Okay, this was a term that was coined by Calvin back in, I guess, the Reformation, probably 1500s. And this was the belief that all people are born sinful, unable to do any good, and that even the good we do is actually selfish. In other words, you're doing it to actually make yourself feel better, right? Secretly. So I thought, right, that the more awareness I had of my own sinfulness, the more I could appreciate God's grace. Like the worse I felt about myself, the more I said, wow, thank you, Jesus, for saving me, even though I'm such a horrible person, you know? So it's that kind of thinking, right? And it led me to dissect my every thought and action looking for false motives. But then there were days when I thought, actually, today is pretty good. I feel well, right? Oh, something's wrong. I must look harder. I must dig deeper to root out the sin, repent of it. But there was none to be found. You know, some days, actually, everything's fine, you know? So some days in church, I just force myself to cry. Oh, please cry. Think of something sad and cry just to show God I'm sorry. But this was very tiring, very tiring. And, and many times I felt pretty fake. Like I'm actually trying to manufacture the feeling of being sorry. And then one day I came across this Catholic idea of state of grace. Okay, as an evangelical, I'd never heard of it before. Uh, but what I took it to mean is that there are actually periods and moments when one is not sinning. When one is actually not sinning, you're in grace, you're in right relationship with God. So this shook me up because I thought we are always sinning all the time, even when we're doing something good. So then gradually I started to focus less on searching internally for every new way I had failed, and focus more on living for God externally, like being a good father, being a good husband, being a good friend. And I found this to be mentally freeing. So it's actually just a balance, right? It's not saying one way is wrong, one way is right. It's a balance. And if you're excessively focused on all the things you shouldn't be doing, it actually kind of takes away your energy from things you should be doing, living for God. So these days, if God prompts me something is wrong that I've done, then okay, yeah, God, thank you for telling me that. I'll try to fix it. But it's not like, oh, what have I done wrong yesterday? It's more like, what can I do right today? Okay, so 
That's number three. So if there are things you genuinely need to change in your life and God has made you aware of them, then I'm not saying ignore them, you know. <laughs> Regular self-examination is actually good. You, maybe you can journal or pray, just reflect on yourself regularly. That's a good thing. But it's just saying feelings of guilt. I mean, these feelings of guilt can actually alert us to areas where we need to change and grow. But the point I'm trying to make is God does not need you to put on a show or manufacture feelings of being sorry. Okay, God is inviting you into abundant life, one of challenge, one of inspiration. So let yourself be led by God's love, not by feelings of guilt and shame. Right? So we've talked about three ways not to repent. First, don't punish yourself. Okay, second, don't try to clean yourself up on your own to earn God's love. And don't let your guilt drive you away from God. And number three, don't put on a show of being sorry for God. Okay, so that's how not to repent. So how should we repent? So to answer this question, we'll go back to the story of John the Baptist from the Gospel of Luke, chapter 3. So this actually continues on from the passage we read, right? The crowds were coming to see John. He was baptizing them. He was kind of uh, scolding the Pharisees, you know, brood of vipers and then all that. So then the crowd continues, right? What should we do then? The crowd asked. John answered, anyone who has two shirts should share with the one who has none. And anyone who has food should do the same. Even tax collectors came to be baptized. Teacher, they said, what should we do? Don't collect any more than you're required to, he told them. And then some soldiers asked him, and what should we do? He replied, don't extort money and don't accuse people falsely. Be content with your pay. So John's answers were so simple, so uncomplicated. As far as John was concerned, right, the inner transformation of repentance, a change of mind, should translate into behaviors that are visible to others. And as we said, it's not just about feeling sorry. You may feel bad as part of repentance, but change is the key. So John was saying, bear fruit worthy of repentance. So let's look at three ways we should repent. The first is personal. So it, it's particularly interesting that John highlights two professions which were at that time universally despised by the Jewish people. In fact, if you had to pick two kinds of people, they say, who are the worst people? Probably the tax collectors and the soldiers. Right? The tax collectors were considered collaborators with the Roman Empire. So they were kind of appointed by Rome to take money from the people and then send it to Rome. So the people hated them. And of course, the soldiers are even worse. The soldiers were the Romans who were occupying their country. But John didn't tell the tax collectors to stop collecting tax. And he didn't tell the soldiers to quit the military. What he asked them to do was to consider how to act rightly within their particular areas of influence and not to abuse their positions and their power. Right? Because the tax collectors, they, they were actually known for over-collecting like kind of extorting money, and then they would keep the surplus for themselves. They became very rich, uh, but it was all corruption, right? And the soldiers, I guess they would accuse people falsely or get them to, you know, extort money out of them. So he's telling them, don't abuse your position and your power. And he didn't even say to the people, he didn't say sell all you have. All he said is, share what you have with those who have less. So how do we do that? Uh, where do you have privilege? What is your profession, your nationality, your race, your education, your wealth, your connections? How do you use these things rightly? And how do you act rightly as employers, employees, as parents and children, or as partners and friends? 
So that's the first. The second is a relational level. So repentance may involve acknowledging ways we've hurt or harmed others in our lives. We probably all know someone who's constantly hurting us, and maybe they keep apologizing, oh, sorry, I did that again, but then they just do it again, right? That's not repentance, because repentance requires not just acknowledging the impact of our actions, but also taking action to make amends, to provide restoration, and then to have inner transformation that leads to change. So, I mean, it's easy to see that in other people. You're probably thinking of someone right now. But maybe it's also us. Maybe we are also that person to someone else. Because it's quite common to see the faults in others and excuse ourselves. Right? When someone cuts us off in traffic, we say, ah, that guy's what an annoying person. But when we cut someone off, we're like, oh, we're in a hurry. We need to get there faster. Or, you know, so it's easy to excuse ourselves. So at this time, we also got to look at ourselves and whether we actually need to reconcile or make amends to someone else. And the third is societal. So we come back to the, the verse where John says to the Pharisees, you brood of vipers, the axe is lying at the root of the tree. It's going to chop the tree down, right? The tree that doesn't bear good fruit will be chopped, thrown into the fire. So John's not talking about personally. He's talking about them as a society. He's saying their entire social system was corrupted and was about to be destroyed. And in fact, that's exactly what happened some years later. The Romans came in and burned down their temple. And we as a society are also called to repent, to address the injustices that we see around us, and even to imagine a world where soldiers and tax collectors are no longer needed. So let's take a moment to think what it means for you to bear fruit worthy of repentance. And if you're on Mentee, you can put your answer in there. I won't be able to see it because it's not up here. But maybe this is just a way for you to reflect on anything that's been said today um, different ways of repenting, ways of bearing fruit worthy of repentance, and then thinking about what it means for you in your life right now. So I'll give you a moment to do that. In fact, I can go on YouTube and see the answers. <laughs> but. I can see myself typing there. Okay, so we have um, think of myself less. That's true humility. Forgiveness. To actual change in behavior that benefits others. To turn from your former self to a new self. To put on Christ and deny ourselves. Yeah, that's a total change change of mind and metanoia. Give more attention to my daughter. Okay, very practical. To make amends, yeah. Love my mother more, great. Be more patient. To try my best to do good, and when I mess up, not excessively blame myself. Yes, amen. Because God loves you, right? God knows when you're going to screw up. God doesn't give up on you. God's just waiting to, okay, you try again. Just get up and try again. Stop feeling ashamed and unworthy of love and relationship. Amen. To be authentic in repentance, and God sees your heart anyways. Yeah, you don't have to put on a show. Just be yourself before God. You don't have to pretend, because God can see deep into your heart. So if you're not there yet, also tell God that. Be honest with God. Be more patient. 
stop feeling a sh okay, um, scrolling up. Use my abilities for others to help others. To understand the sources of trauma that have created my impulses of guilt. Yes, that's really, really powerful. Definitely something you do in community, reach out to friends, therapy, or whatever it may be. Um, to be a vessel to bring the system of God down to earth, restoration of order and beauty to chaos and loss. Wow, that's deep. Um, still trying to understand. Okay. <laughs> uh, to ensure in whatever you do, you know that these actions honor God. To listen better and be open to change for good. Truthfulness. Turn back to God sooner. To believe in love from others and God. To change myself. To be more patient with my family. To practice humility and not take things personally. To be real. Yes, be real. Very, very cool. So thank you for all your responses. All these constitute changes of mind. These are little repentances. And I hope that as we kind of enact these, you're preparing yourself for Christmas. You're preparing yourself for the coming of Jesus, not only to the world, but into your heart, right? So I'd like to conclude with a parable of Jesus from the Gospel of Luke chapter 18. And it's the parable of the Pharisee and the tax collector. So it goes like this. To some who were confident of their own righteousness and looked down on everyone else, Jesus told this parable. Two men went up to the temple to pray, one a Pharisee and the other a tax collector. The Pharisee stood by himself and prayed, God, I thank you that I am not like other people, robbers, evildoers, adulterers, or even like this tax collector. I fast twice a week and I give a tenth of all I get. But the tax collector stood at a distance. He would not even look up to God, to heaven, but he beat his breast and said, God, have mercy on me, a sinner. I tell you that this man, rather than the other, went home justified before God. For all those who exalt themselves will be humbled, and those who humble themselves will be exalted. The point of this parable is not that we have to make ourselves feel sorry and put on a show of contrition for God. What Jesus is saying here is contrasting the self-righteousness of the religious elite with the simple faith and trust of the tax collector. So although the tax collector was a marginalized person, was considered a sinner, was treated as unworthy by the people of Jesus' time, it was the tax collector who had understood God's heart better, who trusted in God and not himself. He was open to God's transformation in his life, and he was ultimately able to surrender and let God bring about a change of mind, a metanoia. So the message of Christmas is that God loves you and me so much that God entered our world as a baby. This was God's ultimate act of love for us. And if you have yet to experience the depths of God's love for you, I pray you will have that change of mind, that metanoia, to be convinced in your heart just how much God loves you. It's this kind of faith where you'll find the strength, the safety, to be honest with yourself, to celebrate the goodnesses and strengths in you, and to face the failures and the brokenness in you without letting it break you. God already knows everything about you, but is patiently, lovingly waiting for those moments when you are ready to change your mind, to guide you into a life where each day, in a million big and small ways, you will bear fruit worthy of repentance. Amen.
We gather each Sunday at this table. Even though at this time we're not all physically together, the table of God's feast transcends time and space because God's love transcends all boundaries. So this table recognizes no boundaries. Here at FCC, we celebrate an open table. This means you do not have to meet any criteria. You do not have to be a member of FCC. You do not have to be baptized. You only need to recognize that God's grace is sufficient. We are your people, God, called together in your love. We are your children, mother, called around your, the table of your word. We are your disciples, Lord, called to praise and give you thanks. We, we thank, thank you, you, good and gracious God, for calling us to be your people, for giving us eyes to see, ears to hear, and hands to touch and bless our world. Even as your people, God, we are separated from ourselves, each other, and you, the creator of life. Let us confess our brokenness. As people caught in our tradition, we confess that we have helped perpetuate systems that deny the dignity and sacred worth of all sorts and conditions of persons. We have paid lip service to equality. Our lives are based on discrimination of the other. We have been our own worst enemies. We have failed ourselves, others, and we have failed you, God. Moved by your power, we accuse ourselves because we have not followed you to form us as a new people. We confess our sin and we pledge to work for reconciliation with one another. We thank you, gracious God, for forgiveness and the chance to start again. We thank you, gracious God, for the gift of your spirit given to us in Jesus, in whom we are freed from the past and its oppression, in whom the gift is complete. Gracious God, you are the mother of creation and the father of all life. We are gathered as your people to thank you for your blessings, to receive your mercy and forgiveness, and to remember how Jesus died for us, accepting death to show his love for us and you. We remember how Jesus came to us, becoming one of us, born like us, of flesh and blood and bone a fully human person like us in all things but sin. We remember how on the night before Jesus died, he gathered with his friends for one last meal. Siblings, Jesus says, I am the bread of life. The person who aligns with me hungers no more ever. Anyone eating this bread will not die ever. This is my body, broken for you. Take, eat, remember me. Jesus says, 
I am the vine, you are the branches. When you are joined with me and I with you, the harvest is sure to be abundant. I love you as I have been loved. Abide in my love. This is my blood shed for you. Take, drink, and remember me. Now I invite the stewards to come and distribute the elements. And for those of you who are at home, uh, you can prepare your own elements and, uh, and, and join us when we partake of it together. So please hold on to the elements uh, until we have all received and are ready to partake of the elements together. Stood pants for the water, so my soul longs after you. You alone are my heart's desire, and I long to worship. Jesus, you are always present in our midst. You come to us simply, lovingly, humbly, in, in, in word and sacrament, in this bread and wine, and, and in, in the, the love, love we share with, with one, one another. another. 
So let us eat and drink of this bread and wine, remembering Jesus, his teaching, his life, his suffering, his death, and his rising to new life. Now please stand in body and spirit and join me in a prayer of communion. Gracious and loving God, you have made us one in the body of Christ and nourished us at your table with holy food and drink. Thank, Thank you, you for, for feeding our, our hunger and, and relieving our, our thirst. With deep gratitude, we offer you our lives, our love, ourselves, Gathered in Jesus by your, your life-giving life spirit. May we become a new people, holy pleasing to you, a people giving glory to your name. Amen. You may be seated. So welcome again to the Sunday service of Free Community Church where free stands for first realize everyone is equal. So FCC is an inclusive and affirming church. So this means that you are welcome, regardless of your theological background, your gender identity, sexual orientation, economic status, or any other label the world puts on you. To our members and to all those who worship with us regularly and to those joining us for the first time, Welcome home. My name is Wendy, and I am the service leader for today. So if you're watching us online and the service has blessed you, please give the video a like and subscribe to our channel. So if you're new to our church or this is the first time that you're joining us online or on site, we invite you to leave your details at fcc.li slash welcome or scan the QR code and our pastors or staff will connect with you uh, to find out how we can serve your needs. We also have a newcomers meeting every month immediately after the service. So for December, um, it will be on 18th uh, December. Okay, so um, in terms of our uh, our financial update. Uh, we have already met uh, our year's target for the building fund. So that's the one you see on the right. Uh, so any additional giving will enable us to pay down the principal sooner and uh, we can get ahead of the rising interest rates. We are also on target to uh, reach our general fund goal. So we, again, we thank you so much for supporting our church. Uh, so let's continue to worship God with our giving. So offering is a time when we express our gratitude and reliance on God. So there are four ways that you can give. The first is by uh, cash or check, which you can drop in the offering bag later. Um, and the second way is by uh, setting up regular transfers from your bank account to, uh, to the church accounts. And you can see those are our account numbers, uh, two separate ones for the general fund and the building fund. 
A third way is by PayNow. Uh, we will, and the QR codes are uh, on the chairs, um, on the back of the chairs in front of you, uh, or will be shown on the screen in the next slide. Okay, so here are the QR codes for PayNow um, giving. And there's also, you, the fourth way is to give by credit card at freecomchurch.give.asia. Um, and, uh, and that uh, has a 1.5 platform fee, but we are grateful for uh, giving in any form. Uh, so uh, let us take a moment to pray for the offering. God, all things come from you. And with gratitude, we return to you what is yours. All that we are and all that we have is a trust from you. And so, in gratitude for all your gifts, we offer you ourselves and, uh, in, and all that we have in union with Christ's offering for us. By your Holy Spirit, make us one with Christ, one with each other, and one in ministry to all the world. Through Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen. So I now invite the stewards to collect the offering. So if you have a cash or a check uh, to drop in the bag, please raise your hand and they will come to you. So while the stewards are going around, uh, we have some announcements. So first, a big thank you for your faithful support of the T-Mart ministry. So we've delivered all your donations to the elderly beneficiaries last Sunday, as you can see in the photos on the slides. So if you didn't get a chance to contribute this time, please look out for our announcement at the, at the next drive in the first quarter of 2023. Uh, so today we have a, a after school church event to write Christmas cards to your loved ones. So there will also be uh, Chris, FCC Christmas cards for sale if you didn't bring your own. So please join us today at 1.30. So this year, we're going to have two Christmas services that you can choose from. So the morning service will be in English at our usual time, 10.30 a.m., we will also have an afternoon service at 2.30 p.m. that will be slightly different. It will be bilingual in both English and Chinese. And in between the two services, please join us for lunch on site at 12.30 p.m. So let's use this opportunity to invite our friends and family and to share the good news of how the coming of Christ is upside down from what anyone expected. So next year, FCC will be celebrating its 20th anniversary. So we are planning to publish a book to mark the occasion. We would love to include your memories of FCC over the two decades, including photos, stories, artwork, poems, songs, and so on. So how has God used FCC to impact your faith journey? So please send your contributions to info at freecomchurch.org by 31st of December. And we are also looking for graphics volunteers to help us with uh, graphics, layout, and editing. Please consider joining our welcome ministry. Now, these are um, volunteers who greet people at the door. They collect the offering. They serve in uh, various capacities. So you can be that friendly face that will make everyone who enter our doors feel at home. So uh, to find out more, you can talk to anyone who's uh, on, the, on the welcome team. You can contact Sean, uh, the number on the screen, or email info at freecomchurch.org. 
Okay, our children at FCC are very precious part of our church. Uh, we are very thankful for the teachers who have been serving faithfully in the last few years. So if you have a heart for children, you would like to volunteer, um, please write to us at uh, infoeffreecomchurch.org, and the pastors will arrange to have a chat with you. So we have lunch khakis for today, uh, so you are welcome to join them. That will be Gordon and Angela. They're in the back. They're waving. <laughs> Hello. Uh, and uh, so if you're looking for uh, someone to have lunch with, um, they would please uh, look for them. Okay, so now I invite the worship team to close us for today, the final song. Oh, yeah, let's rise for the uh, closing song. Righty.
benediction, I invite you to sit down um, because uh, today, don't hide, um, is Nathan's last Sunday with us. Um, he's going to be uh, moving to Melbourne um, and we would like to pray for him. Nathan, you call me mom all the time <laughs> and you first joined us when you were 17 and he has been a It has been quite a journey for you. Um, and I hope FCC continues to be your home, to be your family, um, and you continue to grow, continue to blossom, continue to spread your wings wherever you are. So I want to like to invite the worship team to come up if you want to lay on hands. Or if you want to, always an invitation um, and not by... Um, coercion for those of you who want to pray over um, Nathan. Let us pray. God, you have invited us to be family in so many different ways. And Nathan came to our community. Young, teenager, full of energy, full of his ideas. And he has grown so much through his journey, through the ups and downs in his lives, the obstacles in the way, 
but he has grown because he knew you, your love that has been unchanging, even when he made a mess sometimes, your love that has anchored him, your love that sustained him, and your love that keeps you chasing after him every time. So God, like, we continue to pray that you will be with Nathan wherever he goes. Even though we as a family cannot be physically with him, we know you will be with him. So as he spread his wings to seek out new life in new places, we ask for your love, your protection, and your guidance in his life, now and always. Guide him, guard him, protect him, Lord, wherever he goes. Amen. So I invite you to rise and receive the benediction. God, you do not need us to be beating ourselves up and feeling terrible about ourselves for you to forgive us, to love us. Because you have loved us from the very beginning. You have forgiven us. What you ask of us is the inner transformation that metanoia, so we can become new creations. You will love us into a new being. God, help us to overcome all the things that hold us back from becoming fully alive, fully reflective of your power, your love in this world. Help us break addictions and sins that hold us back and help us be that community that shines and helps each other walk through those dark times and struggles together. And may you be seen clearly present in this community always. So go in love, knowing you are beloved beyond measure, always and forever. Amen. Thank you for joining us this Sunday. We look forward to seeing you next week. Have a good week ahead.